So what did you do? Nobody wants to hear me chewing a brownie. I agree, but I hit record because I wanted them to hear me yelling and at I you. I said, wait before we do this so I can finish my brownie. No, don't finish the whole brownie. Just put it aside. Did you ever hear of an emotional intelligence test where they put an M&M in front of a small child? I informed child? you. I informed you. Everyone's listening to your loud chewing noises. It's reminiscent of that my I wanted to finish first this. podcast called The Clean Plate Club, where I invited people over to a dinner party. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts. And back with me is your beloved... Oh, my God. Stop eating the brownie. I can't believe you. He's literally eating an entire brownie during our introduction. He's doing it to annoy me. I'm doing it because it's driving you so crazy. It's driving the listeners crazy. Nobody wants to listen to anybody eat a brownie on a podcast. It's probably on a list somewhere of things not to do on your podcast. Number one, eat a brownie. It's a delicious brownie. It was made by Nicole Rucker. Nicole oh, Rucker. A guest on your- she was actually my very first guest on this podcast, but then she, I had to hold her I episode. Ryan O'Connell was Ryan name. became the first guest, but she, I recorded my interview with Nicole first because she announced that she was closing her bakery. And I, um, okay. well, anyway, I'm here with Craig Johnson, my better half. Hello. And we just got back from Japan. We did. But so Craig uh, was asking why I recorded intros without him these past three weeks. It was because he was in New York working on a project when I recorded those interviews. Yes, this is true. And then we went to Bellingham, Washington for Christmas where we were with Craig's family. Mm-hmm. Did you have a fun time? I did. Yeah. You remember some of the gifts we got each other this year? Um, I got you, uh, a new pepper grinder. Uh-huh. You did get me a nice pepper grinder. I got you some books, the Stephen Fry book on mythology, uh-huh. which you wanted. I, yeah. You got, you don't get, you don't get me cookbooks anymore because you think I have too many. You do have too many. And I got you, um, when Rachel Schuchert was on this podcast, she showed up wearing a Hal Ashby tote bag and I said, you don't you a- wear a tote bag. She brought a tote bag you just said she was wearing (laughs) she was carrying a hal ashby tote bag very fashion forward uh hal ashby hal ashby being the famous director who directed shampoo and one of my favorites harold and maude and i showed you the bag and you really envied it and so i secretly bought it for you online and you gave me that mike nichols book which oh yeah which was a big surprise because you um, faked me out by telling oh, yeah. me it, that there was a book about the life of Mike Nichols, the director, but it wasn't out yet. Well, it, it was to throw you off the scent. You did, and you did a good job. And then we left from Seattle um, on December 28th, and we flew to Tokyo, and we had this incredible trip to Japan. So what were your thoughts? I wrote a newsletter last week about Japan, so if you didn't see that, you should subscribe to my newsletter. But what were your thoughts about Japan? I mean... Uh, it was incredible. We did it in two sections. We went to Tokyo and we went to Kyoto. Uh-huh. And someone had was had described Tokyo and Kyoto to me as uh, as this: that going to Tokyo is like taking a spaceship into the future, whereas going to Kyoto is like taking a time machine into the past. And that I thought proved to be true. Yeah, Tokyo I mean- was just. I mean, it was overwhelming. It was city as far as the eye could see, and it was just 
bright and bleeping and and kind of loud and colorful and there were kind of screens everywhere. It's very Blade Runner. Yeah, it reminded me of Blade Runner. Yeah, but also like but like a happier Blade Runner because it was it was very like welcoming and warm and sunny and you know I, I just remember like this music being piped in on the streets when we were walking. You hear this like joyful music. Oh, play. It, well, it was just this like like collage of music and sounds and little voices and. Um, and yeah, again, like, like, like these cartoon characters bounding down screens that are, you know, everywhere. and we had some interesting food experiences in Tokyo. In fact, on our first night in Tokyo, um, Craig's old film school roommate, Genjiro, who was incredibly kind and took us all over Tokyo, brought us to a yakitori restaurant where they specialized in chicken mm-hmm. and we ate the very first thing we ate there. Do you remember what it was? It was ostrich uh tartare sashimi sashimi it was just raw ostrich, raw ostrich. which the chef had asked us are we okay eating winston we knock it off well chef asked us if we were okay eating raw ostrich and we both said not really because we were both you know coming from america it's like eating raw poultry doesn't sound like something you should do but then it was sort of clear that gendro yeah, and his- ostrich meat was more like like a steak tartare it was more of a like a red Red meat. meat. But the chef presented it with to us anyway, despite us saying we didn't want it. Yeah. And I think he wanted us to try it, and we did, and it was delicious. It was delicious, yeah. And then we had all manner of every part of the chicken imaginable on little skewers. Culminating in a dish called the lantern, <laughs> which were testicle chicken testicles and ovaries. Were they yes, it was were they- the, the guy the chef presented it to us and said, This is chicken boy parts and girl parts. Yeah. And it was over, and it was dangling. I put it on my Instagram at Amateur Gourmet. You have to look at the picture of it. It it was unlike anything. But it was such a fascinating food experience because Genjiro had requested the lantern. It was called the lantern because it looked like a Japanese lantern. And what was so fascinating to me was that Genjiro and his friend who was with us, they couldn't comprehend what we were freaking out about, and when we were looking at these testicles and this, well, I think they they were surprised, but then they kind of figured it out that this was this delicacy was not something that we as Westerners were were used to eating. But then we tried it. We did. It was we were we're pretty adventurous eaters. I ate some of it. Yeah, but it, there was a little bit of a psychological because the. What were, I mean, what were they? Ovaries. Were they like ovaries? Chicken ovaries. Like It was like a just beginning to form egg. egg. Yeah, it's right? what it, it tasted like an egg. Yeah, but, but I couldn't get over like, yeah, it kind of popped in <laughs> your mouth like yeah. a water balloon. But it was, a, it was a fun initiation into our Tokyo trip. But we had some incredible meals in Tokyo and Kyoto. Do you remember, what were your highlights food-wise? Oh my gosh. I mean, you'd almost have to go like little food snapshots. That shrimp that crawled up onto the <laughs> yes, we went to sushi a dinner. sushi dinner at this place called Sushi Ginza Onodera, which was a fancy sushi place because we wanted to have like one fancy sushi meal. And the chef um, Craig just took the last bite of brownie, thinking that I was going to be talking and monologuing, which I guess I will. Um, and the chef brought out live shrimp that crawled all over the counter. Before he then boiled them and then put them into sushi, and it was yeah. delicious. Yeah, that. Well, I think you may have put this on your Instagram, but but one of the most memorable bites was a piece of bonito sushi. Oh, yeah. That was just I don't know, it had a few things on it, and it was just 
delicious. It well, if you've ever had bonito flakes, which are used to flavor broth and Japanese cooking, that's where bonito flakes come from. So it's a very oily, flavorful fish. But one and- of my favorite food experiences was when we were in Kyoto. And so, by the way, New Year's is a big holiday in Japan, but not like fireworks and crowds, but it like... The town's actually shut down for like three days and, and a lot of places are closed because people are gathering with their families and, and visiting like the shrines and temples. Well, Kyoto is all about shrines and temples. Yeah. And so when we were there on like, it was like on New Year's Day pretty much or like the day after, we wandered all through and the the shrines were packed with with locals who were there for New Year's and, you know... Also, up there were a bunch of food stands, like like little local, you know, what I assume are local food stands. I mean, and so we at one point just wandered up to the shrine and it was just packed with people and we got soba oh, yeah. and like a dried, with dried trout? Is yeah, well, was? when we checked into our hotel, I remember the woman that checked us in told us that there was a traditional soba dish with fish on top of it at a restaurant she had recommended to us. So I had that in my mind that that was a thing. And then we went to this temple and we saw... Another, a woman in a tent making soba with like some kind of broth, yeah, and then fi- like dried we, fish on. And top. we just stumbled upon it. Not even dried fish, like smoked fish. So it was very, yeah. it was moist. It wasn't. Um, it was so good, yeah. and it was, and it was just a serendipitous moment. It was we really stumbled good. Upon it and ate it, you know, just kind of surrounded by a bunch of Japanese families. I mean, we were the only Westerners. I felt like. And Japan is an interesting country in terms of the food because I, I can honestly say that that dish that we ate outside from a tent in front of a shrine was as delicious as anything we ate at the fancy sushi place. You know, it's like the food there is just universally good. I, we didn't have a bad meal. You had to work to have a bad meal. I mean, our breakfast at the hotel in Kyoto was just incredible. Yeah. Uh, just a variety of... Like fresh tofu and a Japanese omelet and... Bean, like soybeans and... Um, what was that? There was just great little pieces of fish, Spanish mackerel. Oh, yeah, mackerel. Sort of like and, and just, yeah, it was... Everything was beautiful. I think what I took away from it was just the amount of passion and focus and um, generosity. Nobody phones it in yeah. in Japan. Whether you are working in the fanciest restaurant in the world or at 7-Eleven, people are taking care in what they do. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out to the eggs. I knew you were going to say that. Craig was obsessed with the eggs there. The eggs were so good. They tasted so much better than eggs you can find here. The yolks were like bright orange. Yeah, they were this rich, bright orange, and they just had a flavor that was incredible. Everywhere we went, it was the eggs. So I don't know. Straight out of the ovary. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That was a sad laugh. That was like a, a whimper of a laugh. No, that was a very sincere laugh. Well, we are glad to be back. We had a great time. And um, if Gendro, if you're listening, thank you for showing us around. We had such a good time with you. Um, well, anyway, today's episode is a very unique episode of Lunch Therapy. It's a role reversal. Dun, dun, dun. Because I, a couple of years ago, became friends with this woman, um, Dr. Dini Eisenstein. Oh, my God. Eisenstein. Eichenstein. Thank you. I had, a, I had to look up her name. <laughs> I mean, actually, I only really know her as Deanie um, from our trip. Um, Dr. Deanie. Dr. Deanie. And she's a psychologist. And um, and we've I've wanted to have her on forever. But when I was talking to her about it, I was like, well, but you can't open up about your life on lunch therapy. Because what if your patients Google you and they read all about, you know, they listen to this podcast and learn all about you. It will compromise your practice. So I said, why don't you come on and then analyze my lunch? And so that was the plan. 
What is Winston doing? Winston, why are you going crazy? Um, and so that's what today's session is. And I thought it was an appropriate way to start the new year with an analysis of what I had for lunch. Ooh, the tables have turned. They do turn. It was actually kind of an interesting experience because I, I was definitely uncomfortable being in the patient chair during lunch therapy because it made me realize for people to come did on. Did you open up? Did you did you reveal? I talked about things that will make your head spin. Oh, wow. No, okay. I did. I did open up. I definitely did. I think people will agree when they listen. Talked about pooping. You did? Yeah. That's a big issue for you, actually. I, I, your, your, your psychology and your, your pooping is, is linked, actually. I think that's true for most people. Yeah, but for you in particular. Well, it, it ties to the Freudian notion of the anal personality. Yes. Did You got into that with Dini? Maybe. I mean, people are going to have to listen to find out. I mean, what a, what a more riveting introduction to a podcast than to say that you get to hear me podcast talk about, about food and pooping. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, well, before we get started, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Lunch Therapy by going to Apple Podcasts, typing in Lunch Therapy and hitting subscribe. And while you're there, you know, I ask this every year, but right now it's so important as we start the new year, if you can write a review, if you can just do like Five stars. That would be great. It just gets more eyes on the podcast and helps Apple Podcasts know to promote it more. All right. Well, without further ado, here is my interview, my lunch therapy session with Dr. Dini Eichenstein. All right, Dini, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm here today with Dr. Dini Eichenstein. Did I say it right? Yes who I met a couple of years ago um, with my friend Ryan at Ryan's birthday. And it's the start of the... Oh, yeah, you got to pour your tea. Sorry, I mean, I made her tea, but she's right because it's only supposed to steep for two minutes. Yeah, we almost oversteep. So this is um, the first podcast I'm recording in 2020. And I thought what would be really fun was because Dini is a psychologist... Yes. (laughs) ...that we turn the tables today. And instead of me analyzing her lunch, she's going to analyze my lunch... That's right. And what's funny about that is like when we first talked about doing this, I wanted to have her on as a guest, but we talked about the fact that because you have your own clients that it might not be a good idea for you to like reveal tons of stuff about your personal life. Right, right. Which I was open to for the record. Yeah. I thought this would be a better format. This might be better. And I think that um, also, I mean, there's a lot of creepy people out there. Have you ever seen Cape Fear? No. Oh, it's, it's I don't know I don't know if that's about a psychiatrist, but it's like Robert De Niro stalks a family. I'm just saying like you could have like a client out there it, who's true. who like you trigger in some way and they like look you up. You know, I just want to protect you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, but what's interesting about this is is like I'm going to like I'm very nervous about this. I'm super nervous. And I think part of it has to do with like being the host of this podcast and now turning the tables so that not, not only am I not analyzing your lunch, but like you're going to have to sort of steer the ship a little. I know. So I'm going to give you my pointers from like when I've interviewed other people. Cause okay. So number one, like this is the clock as you're familiar. (laughs) So, okay. So the first 10 minutes of the podcast, (laughs) I like to just banter to make people feel safe. Mm. Like, like you feel very safe right now. So safe. Yeah. I'm just going to turn your microphone up a little okay. towards your mouth. Um, okay. And then, so like we started at like, um, let's see, four minutes ago or three minutes ago. So then like around like, you know, it says 15. So like 15.56 or so, you'll, a- you'll ask me 
what did you have for lunch? And then we'll do 50 minutes. So in your wow, mind, you have okay. to watch the clock okay. and give you 50 minutes from that point okay. of lunch therapy. I'm really working. Yeah, this is work. Yeah. And you're not getting paid at all. Yeah, no. But it's tea, though. But it is good promotion for your um, for your practice. My practice that is full, but yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> nobody can go see her, but, but one I'm day you might need a client. Um, wow, Winston is going crazy. Cute. He can't stand the role reversal. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's the, so the, the bantery part we can do. And maybe we can talk a little, little bit about you at the beginning. Sure. Because people might want to know. Yeah. Like, who you are you? you want to ask me some questions and then we can turn the tables? Turn the tables. Oh, the other pointer that I was going to say, yes. and this is the most important thing because it's tricky, is as much as this is a therapy session, it's a lunch therapy session. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always important to bring it back to food. Great. You get it. You yeah. Know, but like you're a lunch therapist and I'm a real therapist. I know. So no. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know yeah. how this is going to go. But I guess that's like, that's the host's responsibility. Like, yeah, but who's the host? I know. That's the question. Uh, stressful. It's very I'm stressful. Stressed. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if this just became a therapy session, then it wouldn't be like a food podcast. And yeah, this well, is. We'll, un- I'll try to bring it back to food. Or like lunch as a metaphor. Hmm. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. It's funny because like one of my issues in my own therapy is like having a lot of defenses up, mm. and I, as I'm like transferring the baton to you, I can feel myself like getting very defended. Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> oh god! Oh no, I'm so scared. Okay, so Dini, tell us about. So you're from California. I am. I'm from Los Angeles. And you grew up in Los Angeles. In proper? Los Angeles, yeah. What part of it? Um, West LA. Okay. Does that mean like Santa Monica and that? No, it means like um, sort of like near like Culver City more, like a little more east. Okay. Yeah. And did you, were your parents therapists or did you grow up in a family Um, with a lot of therapy? My mom is a psychologist. Okay. Yeah. Can you help me with the distinction between a therapist and a psychologist? No one knows. Yeah. It needs to be clarified. Okay. Um, So there's, uh, there's. There's so many versions of therapists. There's physical therapists. There's occupational therapists. There's psychotherapists, which mm-hmm. are master's level therapists. And then there's psychologists, which are doctorate level psycho- uh, therapists. Okay. And then there's psychiatrists or MDs. How do you know if your therapist is a psychologist versus a therapist? Well, anyone can say they're a therapist. Okay. Um, you just have to ask. You wouldn't know by like the way they talk. But you have doctor in your title on your thing. Okay. Yes. Oh, so they'll have doctor. Okay. But that could also mean they're an MD. Oh, interesting. Or a PhD or a PsyD. So you are a psychologist. Right. But do you get offended if someone's like, she's a therapist? No. Okay. But it's but it's worth clarifying because your mom is a psychologist. We're both we both are. You both are psychologists. Yeah. Okay, so did yeah. you grow up with a lot of psychoanalysis in the house? No, she doesn't do therapy really. She does more um, assessment and testing. Okay. Um. So like, if kids have learning differences or are really gifted, they see her and she figures out what their deal is and what they need, what kind of accommodations they need. That's great. Yeah. So it's a really different kind of role. But in terms of your childhood, did you grow up like saying, Mom, I had a dream about a spider? And was she like, no, oh, no. really never. But she did try out um, her tests on me, which I thought was really fun because they're like games, okay. like puzzles and things. So oh. like, I have a new test I need to learn. Do you want to try to be like, yes. <laughs> like IQ tests? Yeah. Oh, yeah. did they make your IQ higher because you got all that practice that other people don't get? No, because it's 
it's you just would learn the test. It doesn't make your IQ actually <laughs> higher. <laughs> That's a real advantage in life. It's so funny. I, I remember like IQ seemed like such a big deal growing up. Like, oh, he has such a high IQ. Like my mom would talk about like Mensa and things like that. Really? And as an adult, it's never come into my life ever as an issue or a subject. It's it's so um it doesn't really measure anything important, I don't think. Yeah. Not, not much. So then when you became a psychologist, did mm-hmm. you intentionally follow in your mother's footsteps or was it just something you came upon in your own individual journey? I, I never thought I wanted to do it, um, but I guess I always did because okay. I was always the friend that everyone would go to for advice. You know, right. you're in this role for a reason. You you start the job for a reason. Okay. Um, and I think I was in denial for a long time because I didn't like that I was like following in the footsteps. I was a little rebellious. Sure. Um, but then in college, I started studying psychology and I was like, wait, this is the best. I love this. And oh. I was like, okay, I, the bug bit me. And the apple doesn't fall that far from it the tree. It does not. Wait, what does your dad do? Did you say? Um, he's not in psychology. He's in real estate. Oh, real estate. Totally okay. Yeah. Got it. Which also I find very interesting. <laughs> Maybe you can help me buy a house during the session. Sure. Yeah. We Craig and I had a funny thing recently, like where we saw this house in Atwater Village where we lived that we loved and we're like, oh my God. And we went in and we spoke to the person and like we we started the whole thing. And then we wait, 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 we can't like afford a house. Oh. Like so we had this whole day where we thought we were buying a house and then we realized how much it would be with the down payment and stuff. So Oh, you, you did sh- the math. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the next podcast is like house therapy. You can come on that too as the daughter of a realtor and a (laughs) psychologist. Was realtor the right term? Uh... I don't know, actually. He did more like industrial oh, than commercial, not okay. residential. So it's a different world. I just want to get all the terms right. I don't know those terms. I'm How are we doing? The clock, but I can't remember the, what time we're. We're almost to there. We're on the. Oh clock. yeah, we're a minute away, right? We're a minute away. Oh, are you ready? So do you have any questions be- for me before I turn over the um, <clears throat> the steering wheel or the? I guess I should just clarify for liability purposes. Oh, yes, please <laughs> a do. A disclaimer that this is not a real therapy session. Yes. It's for entertainment. So I can't see you now. You're not my patient. Okay. <laughs> um, and we don't have to go over any of the limits of confidentiality because this is fake and it's couldn't be less confidential. <laughs> but it's not fake in the sense that I really am going to tell you things That's about true. my that life. That is real. I just mean like... This is a public, right. this is going to be a public display. Of and maybe it's worth psyche. asking, how do you think the public nature of this podcast changes the nature of the ability to do therapy? Oh, it changes everything. How so? I mean, <laughs> we're going to find out, but okay. I think you can't ignore that people are going to hear this. Right. And therapy is the most private possible space. Do you ever listen to Esther, Esther Perel's podcast? But she does that on her podcast. She interviews couples. That's true. Um, but it's a very, I'm sure they get it for free. Mm-hmm. And I think normally she, her rates are astronomical. Oh, and really? That's the tr- and I think it's very hard to get in with her. Okay. Um, you think I'm stalling right now? <laughs> and it's anonymous, sort of. All right. Sort of. Okay. All right. So look, yeah, I'm looking time. at the clock. So 56. So that means it's, let's see, six, um, 46 is when it will stop. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks for doing that math. I know. It's like, I always do the math. All right. I'm turning <laughs> okay, over the baton. Okay. No more hosting for me. Okay, Adam. So I'm, I can't wait to hear what you had for lunch today. Okay. Well, Dr. Dini, yes. can I call you Dr. Dini? Sure. That's a good name for your new TV show. <laughs> um, I decided to do what I often tell my guests to do, which is I had a lunch that I would just normally have. Great. And so um, 
I live in Atwater Village, as you know, and on the other side of Atwater is a strip of stores and restaurants. And I often go to that side for lunch because there's like a great falafel place, which a lot of guests have gone to, which now I have to tell people not to go to because Mm -hmm. it's become so common. It's probably the best place to eat over there. And then there's kind of a mediocre sandwich place, which is where I went to lunch. I don't, I don't mean to call them out as mediocre. They're fine. They're okay. Called Bon Vivant, which is totally just like, it reminds me of like a college coffee shop. But what I like about it is it's not crowded. There mm-hmm. are a lot of tables. Mm-hmm. And I now have a, a standard order there, which is a half of a tuna sandwich and a salad. And it's kind of the perfect lunch mm-hmm. for me because it's um, just enough food. It's not like too filling. Uh-huh. And it also kind of feels like a working lunch. Like it doesn't feel glamorous it doesn't feel like I'm taking like the afternoon to go to some fancy restaurants. Like, no, I'm, I'm actually working on a writing project today. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go grab my tuna and my mm-hmm. little salad and read a magazine for like 20 minutes and then go back to work. So the serious nature of it uh-huh. feels good to you. The work working, yeah. like the fact that like, this is like not, a working lunch. It's not like luxurious. It's not um, hours long. It's not fancy. Yeah. And that I would have a hard time doing. You'd feel guilty. I would feel very guilty, which will probably come up a lot in this podcast. But one Uh thing happened at lunch today that I do want to bring up, and then you'll have the full picture. Okay, great. Which is that I was walking into the place, and there was a guy outside smoking what can only be described as like an herbal cigarette or like clove. It wasn't clove. It almost like smelled like potpourri. Like it was just something very potent, and so much so that like I walked through a cloud of it. And it's on my clothes. And I just got the sweater that you can see. It's very charming. Um, it has an elephant. I, like I bought it. it in Japan. And and then, so my whole sweater was like cloaked in the smell of the smoke. And then when I sat down to eat my sandwich, all I could smell was the smoke. And it and it was changing the experience of eating the lunch. And I felt violated. Wow. Powerful lunch today. Yes. A lot to dive into. I'm going to stop yammering on though and no, let you ask questions. Okay. Um, just want to go back to the actual lunch for a second. You said it was a half a tuna sandwich and a salad. Mm-hmm. What kind of bread is it on? Oh, great question. Um, it was, um, oh my God, what's the word? Not a, not focaccia. It's like ciabatta. Ciabatta. Yeah. That's how you pronounce that word? Ciabatta? I never, I thought it was ciabatta. Never knew. How did I say it? Ciabatta. I think you're right. I think it's ciabatta. Okay, okay. Yeah. Felt like extra Italian. Yeah, yeah. Ciabatta. Okay. Um, and then the salad, is it just like a mixed? Greens. It was the most standard like airplane salad you'll ever, you know, just like just like lettuce, lettuce. cucumbers, little tomatoes with like a very thin balsamic vinaigrette, okay. which was barely present, almost to the point where I was going to go up there and ask for a little more balsamic vinaigrette. But yeah. but I felt like I didn't want to go through the motions and I actually felt like it was probably better for me not to have it. Oh, guilty? Not guilty. <laughs> no, not guilt, but actually because I've had acid reflux recently. Oh, trying to take care of your health? And trying to take care of my health. And I'm not supposed to have highly acidic foods, mm. which would include balsamic vinegar. It also includes tomatoes. And I did feel very, um, not guilty, but I felt kind of mischievous eating my tomato. Were you advised not to eat tomatoes? Yes. Yesterday, I went to a doctor for something else, and he looked at my throat, and he's like, oh, do you have acid reflux? And he, he just saw that in my throat. So then he gave me this form where it's like, you can no longer like things you shouldn't have mm. anymore it was like coffee chocolate alcohol tomatoes spicy food it was literally a list of all the things that i love to eat and fatty foods let me see this list because i'm having some acid reflux <laughs> oh, i'll show you on the way out come on i'm on the clock here <laughs> okay you're on the clock here yeah. this is about you yes okay um let me ask you a little bit about your process in choosing your lunch okay were you thinking a lot about it 
before going there, like like what you were going to choose well, to I, bring in. Yeah, I did think about the fact that I was going to be a lunch therapy guest today. Is that mm-hmm. what you're asking? Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to overthink it. I was conscious not to overthink it because okay. I didn't. I, I didn't want to make the lunch more like a forced representation of myself. I wanted it to just be an, an authentic representation of what I truly do eat, uh-huh. which actually has come up on the podcast a couple of times where I've had guests like my guest last week, Luke Matheny, um, wanted to get a cheesesteak. But when I told him to get what he normally gets, he got a burger instead, uh, which was its own fascinating hmm. thing. But I'm, div- I'm, I'm going off subject. No, no, yeah. this is, it's all. Okay. I like tangential. Okay. It leads us good places. Oh, good. Okay. And then actually this guy, Zach Brooks, who came on, his um, he was very concerned because his whole blog is called Midtown Lunch or his Instagram. Mm. So lunch means a lot to him. And yeah. he wanted his lunch to represent him in the best possible way. But for me, like my identity has shifted over the years from being like a food blogger and a food person to then I became a TV writer. And I actually think the lunch is a symbol of like my shifting identities Mm. because I'm currently working on a screenplay right now, which I've been working on forever and trying to get off my plate. And your plate. Oh, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) See, it's tangential. Get good stuff. Uh, But so like going to like a not fancy lunch makes me still feel like I'm still in like screenwriter mode and still working as opposed to like, oh, I'm in food writer mode and I'm going to go to a lunch like an Instagram and get a great picture. It feels very intentional to go to to have that kind of vibe for your lunch, for your identity. Yeah, I think it's all connected. I think and also I think from my parents, like they came from working class backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of work like my dad, he he was a he is a dentist, but he retired like his lunch at work would be like half a sandwich. Like he would just work through lunch, basically. And just like so there was this real symbolism. Yeah. So not having an indulgent lunch. But then when he retired, now they go out to nice lunches. Right. So it feels like you really identified with your dad by choosing this kind of lunch. Yeah. And there's a real I think shame, I think you mentioned shame or guilt or something. I think there mm-hmm. can, I, that can certainly kick in if I were to go to a really nice lunch in the middle of a Friday. I mean, Friday maybe is different, but like in the middle of the week. Yeah. Um, even when I meet my friend Diana, because we, we sometimes sometimes are like ladies who lunch, mm-hmm. you know, and she'll, we'll, she'll suggest trying like a cool new place. And I'll be like, let's just go to the, like Little Dom's Deli or just somewhere like Easy and fast. You want to downplay your experience. You want to have like a lower key experience. Lower key, but I think it's tied to the need to feel like I'm working Mm -hmm. and that this is not indulgent. Like, I think that's very important to me. Not indulgent. Right. Like that, you know, I think there's a feeling that, you know, working from home and not Mm -hmm. having a traditional job Mm -hmm. that there's there's just just an indulgent lifestyle that you're like wow he works from home he's probably like eating bonbons and watching the view all day do you think your parents think that about you oh wow you're you're good wow (laughs) how 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 long have we been doing this you really went four minutes past the hour oh my gosh um well, I think it comes up for me a lot too real of a question no no there's no such thing as too real a question on lunch therapy um well, I, I I think about that a lot. I think, you know, they wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. Oi. And I, <laughs> and I did pre-med when I was really? an undergrad. So I did uh, biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, and physics. I did all those classes. What? And the day that I told my mother I didn't want to be a doctor was akin to the day that I came out of the closet. Like, I, I equate the two as being, like, these dramatic moments in my relationship wow. with her. Because she was devastated that I wasn't going to be a doctor. And I have to say, 
going through pre-med, yeah. you went pretty far. Yeah, I did well. I did well in I'm all sure. the things except for physics was the one I just could not get. Couldn't get. Yeah. I can't believe you did all the pre-med requirements. I know. You really wanted to please them. Oh, yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> Maybe we make this a two-hour session. Because that is really, I mean, for like a creative person. Yes. And that I was a creative a writing major, so that my major was creative writing, but I was, the plan was... How did you do all of that? Did you well, do college in four years? Yeah. Well, because I took some creative writing classes at the beginning, and then it was basically just like, I think it was chemistry my freshman year, and then biology and organic chemistry my sophomore year. So it was really my sophomore mm-hmm. year that was the hardest. And then junior year was physics. At that, at that point, you declared your major, so... So did you know your first two years of college in your heart that you weren't going to be a doctor, but you were just going through the motions or were you like, I got to do this? Well, I think, I think what happened was my parents both grew up without a lot of money. And so my, my dad shared a a room with his sister until he was 16, like in a small apartment. So like my dad as a dentist had made money and he started to become more and more successful to the point that like, I watched that happen throughout my childhood Mm. because I grew up in, on Long Island um, in a town called Oceanside, which is a small town. And we lived near the garbage dump (laughs) and we could smell the dump. (laughs) And, um, and I think, uh, as we, we then moved to Florida and my dad got a larger practice and he started making more money and they got nicer cars and they got a nice house. So I saw what it was like for them to make money. And so the point they kept making to me about being a doctor was like, you need to make money. You need to make money. Like, yeah. look at this life. That, money and security was big. Yes. And I think that point was so dramatically hammered into me that I just found it impossible to conceive of a life. Mm. as a writer, which funny enough, today I just read an article in the New York Times. This feels like a huge tangent, but it's not really about the author of Prozac Nation just died of cancer at 52. But the article, I think it was by Gina Belafonte, was about how that um, I'm totally blanking on her name, but she was she was had breast cancer, but she was being evicted from her apartment. And it's basically the article is about with the fantasy of being a what, a what a writer's life would be like in the 80s mm. versus the reality of what it's like today and how hard it is to to make money and support yourself as a writer that this woman who'd written Prozac Nation could barely afford her apartment anymore and that wow. that opportunities for journalists and opportunities for novelists like you can't make money with a book anymore and even in TV and film it's like it's all streaming now and so but I will also say being a doctor is not what it used to be yeah Everything's kind of changing. It's all changing. But I guess, you know, as I get older, I'm starting to see my parents point more clearly. Mm. Like I see it more clearly. It's not that I agree with it. What do you see? I see that security and stability are sometimes as important, if not more important than living out your dreams. Sure. You know, more pragmatic approach yeah because i think you could you could pursue your dreams and be very fulfilled but at the end of the day sometimes like you know i think a lot actually about my like 60s and 70s and 80s and Mm -hmm. it's like if i have no money like where am i gonna be am i gonna be like government housing and like sharing a bathroom with like eight other senior citizens and you know i don't know just this is a real capitalist issue yeah yeah and look, I mean, and I supported myself as a food blogger for 10 years. Yeah, you did. And then I supported myself as a TV writer. So, like, I've been able to do it. But um, but I'm also starting to understand that, that that was, like, good for my 20s. Like, I lived in a small apartment in Brooklyn with my friend Diana, who I mentioned earlier. We were roommates. Like, you know, we lived that, like, 20s New York, mm-hmm. like, straight out of girls, Lena Dunham. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. So that was fine for your 20s. And then in your 30s, it's like you make a little more money. 
you, you're, you're, you want to be more comfortable. You want to be more comfortable. Um, and then in my 40s now, I turned 40 this you year. You want to be even more comfortable. Well, yeah, but, but not to the point, though, where I want to give up what I do because I love being creative. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just been, wow, this all came from like my tuna sandwich. This is a great concept for a podcast. Seriously. Yeah, wow, don't steal it. Um, but, um, yeah. I want to go back to you growing up next to a dumpster that you could still smell. <laughs> Not a dumpster. So, the, so Oceanside <laughs> had what was called the Oceanside Dump. Okay. And if anybody's listening to this from Oceanside, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And it was this giant dump that had like seagulls flying around it. And so we, our house wasn't near the dump, mm-hmm. but you could smell the dump from our house. Like if the wind was blowing a certain uh-huh. way, which for me is like the perfect like depiction of where we started yeah. and where, what we left behind. I'm just thinking about like the aromas of cooking and uh, cooking is so important to you. Yeah. And if there's any like covering up a smell that you're trying to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is where my mind went. That's interesting. I mean, my cooking, I mean, to me, the cooking part of my story has a lot more to do with um, going to law school. So what happened was. What? Oh, you don't know I went to law school? No. Oh, wow. You, you have to do your research. I guess not. No, you're not supposed <laughs> not to do your research. To. Oh, yeah. Um, fair enough. I, um, so when I didn't go to medical school and I was creative writing major and I was graduating college, I really had no idea how I was going to support myself as a writer. And this was before I started a food blog and before anything was clear to me. So my parents, of course, were like, go to law school. You can be like John Grisham. (laughs) That's what they kept saying. Or, um, Michael, Michael Crichton, but, um, Who's the other guy? He wrote one L, Scott Turow. So it's like, you could be John Grisham or Scott Turow. I'm like, all right. So I applied to law school and I genuinely thought I could go to law school and, um, and sort of also be a writer. I was like, oh, I'll just go to law school and be a writer. And I started law school and it was so, it was oh, like getting yeah. sucked into quicksand and I hated it. And I was like, this is not for me. And I called my parents and they're like, just get through the first semester, just get through it. And then we'll talk about, it. so I got through the first semester and I was like, I still hate it. Like, well, you got through your first half of the first year and the first year is the hardest year. So just finish, just out, finish the out the year. And that was true. The first year of law school is the hardest year. That's so I got through say. the first year and then they were like, we well, got through your first year. Just do, you may as well start the second. So I, I did all three years of law school what? yeah but while i was there to your question um i started watching the food network all the time and i would come home every day like miserable but i would just stare at the food network and it was during the early days of the food network so it was sarah moulton who had this like stand and stir show but she was like a mother figure she was like a nurturing mother figure mm-hmm. and you know i would watch these shows and it was very comforting to me when i was feeling so alienated and disconnected from things to just have this like woman like making like meatloaf. And sure. so I started mimicking her. So I had never cooked before. And I grew up in a family where nobody cooked. I was going to ask. Yeah. So there was no home cooking in my house. Um, my, but my mom was obsessed with restaurants. So we would always go out to restaurants. Is she a lady who lunches? Yeah, but not in the not like in a waspy sense. You know, she's like a Jewish woman in Boca who like will go to a deli with her friends and uh-huh, have, like, but uh-huh. you know, stuff like that. So not so dissimilar from the lunch you had today. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, there's a real sense. I mean, oh, actually, I take that back. Though she and my dad now will go to like Palm Beach and have like a fancy Italian lunch. Okay. So they okay. will do their glamorous lunches, yeah. but it's not. She's not a lady who lunches like with the hat and uh-huh, the martini. Uh-huh. That's not her. Okay. Um, but anyway, to make a long story short. I'm started watching the Food Network and I started cooking in law school to the point where I got really into it. And I would just come home every day and start cooking and I loved it. And the smells were a huge part of it. Like I remember vividly making um, tomato sauce for the first time with thyme, like fresh thyme and garlic. And like the smell of that 
was so intoxicating. I don't think I'd ever smelled anything like that before. Because when you do it yourself, it's like when you go to a restaurant, you have a dish, you don't smell those individual components mm, going in. Mm-hmm, sure. But if you've never, if you're listening to this and you've never cooked with fresh thyme and like pulled it off the stem and just smelled, smelled what that smells like, it was incredible. So I, I started doing that. And then my friends in Atlanta, where I went to law school, were like, you should start a blog. And I had never even read a blog. I wasn't really into blogs, but I, I started researching them and then I started this blog, The Amateur Gourmet, which took off. And so that was like my lifeline that I threw myself. And the other one was I wrote a play in my third year of law school that I submitted to NYU on a lark. I was like, well, maybe I'll get into, you know, this like very selective grad program. And I did, I really didn't think I was going to get in, but I got in. Wow. And that's why, so then I moved to New York and that's where I met Craig because he was in the film school. What a story. <laughs> I've told it before. So. Okay. Well, I haven't heard it. Okay, good. Have you told it on the podcast? I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, smells keep coming up, and it brought me back to the smell of the guy smoking the herbal cigarette oh, yeah. on the way in. Wow, good. That was good therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what it means, but I don't know. Smells seem important, good and bad. It really disrupted your lunch. It did. The smell. Yeah. I think it has something to do with creating like a bubble for yourself, like... I was in the world of law school, but then like I created this bubble mm. of smells around myself. Great, I like it. And uh, and it was like the safe place I could be in my kitchen. And my kitchen is like a bubble of smells where I feel very contained and safe. Yeah. And uh, and so going to lunch today and having my bubble invaded by this guy's cigarette and a safe place for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You come to expect the same thing. Yeah. And, and it was almost ruined today. It was. It was very much almost ruined. I mean, it's funny. This is a story. So if my parents are listening, they're going to be horrified and Craig is going to be mad at me for telling this story. Um, but in, in terms of safe place being violated, um, I was cooking around in October this year. And um, I was in the kitchen in my safe place. Like I was, I, I was blasting Hello, Dolly with Bed Midler, the Bed Midler mm-hmm. version. And I forget what I was making. If people follow my Instagram, they might even remember me playing Hello, Dolly. And Winston started barking in the living room. And I was like, what's he barking? I thought there was like a squirrel outside. I went into the living room and there was a woman who came in off the street and was standing in our living room and was just standing there. And And I was like, excuse me, can I help you? And she didn't say anything. And Craig was in the back room. And so I screamed for Craig I was like, Craig, get in here, Craig. And he came out and he's like, what is it? And I was like, this woman. Is, and, he, and he, both of us could feel this like menacing vibe. That was like, she was not, she was mm-hmm. like drugged out of her mind. Sure. But she was just was. Yeah. And so um, he was like, you need to get out of here. He's like, you need, he was, I mean, my instinct was to run. I, I, if I was home alone, I would have grabbed Winston, run out the door and called the police. Uh-huh. But Craig just got in her face like, you need to get out of our house. And so she left. But that violation, that like puncturing of like my Ooh. safe bubble of safety, like I had nightmares for like a week. That and is terrorizing. Yeah. To just look up and have someone standing in your living yeah. room. And she didn't say anything or do anything. It was just her presence and it yeah, freaked me out. It's like a ghost. It was like a ghost. And, you know, it's like that movie. Um, I don't like scary movies, but Craig was once watching this movie, The Strangers. With Liv I don't Tyler. watch scary movies oh, yeah. either. Can't but the pre- handle it. The premise of that movie, though, is just like these women, these people just like show up in the window. And that's what it felt. It was just like, yeah. that's all it takes is just this like menacing presence. So, you, wow, you really got me to open up here. I, I can't <laughs> tell my parents that story because they already think I live in the oh, most dangerous see, neighborhood. And they would be like, you need to move. It always comes back to them, doesn't it? it oh, wow. It does. <laughs> it yeah. Does. does that happen with most of your clients? Sure. Okay. Um... I mean, I always bring it back because I think that's 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I just, I have to go back to the, so you, you did all your pre-med recs and then you went through law school. Yeah. You tried so hard to give them what they wanted. That's true. But Make it did. about food, Deanie. <laughs> <laughs> How do we bring this back to food? What is their relationship with food? <laughs> no, that was me just trying to get off your very good question. Um, no, it's true. I, I'm, I'm a parent-pleasing person yeah. to the point where in my own therapy, not that this isn't as good as my own therapy, but in my therapy, um, I talk a lot. We talk a lot about me not knowing what I want. Mm-hmm. Because I had a, I was always trying to please my mother, and also Craig has a strong personality. Sure. So it's always like I'm trying to please other people, but it's hard for me sometimes to know what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think with food, it's actually one of the few few areas where I can. You do know. Don't I do you? know what I want. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's empowering for you. Although sometimes, like it can, I can get tripped up if I'm cooking for other other people, and mm. I know that they don't like this, and they, you know, sometimes I have to like really wrestle. A big a big thing I wrestle with recently um, is like how much money I want to spend on a dinner party, which yeah. sounds silly, but like, no, but I've, d- I've discovered that my eagerness to please can send me off in directions where I'm like, Oh my God, like, why did I just spend so much money on this meal for people who I like? But like, would they, would they have done the same for me? I don't know. There's just, or it's just feeling too, too much. Yeah. It just you, feels yeah. like I go overboard. I mean, yeah. I don't know, but I love to do it. That's the thing is I get so much pleasure and there is great pleasure to be had in like getting the nice chocolate and getting the good tea that Dini is drinking right now. She was, she was like, I have to have the good tea. I'm just kidding. I offered it to her. Um, but you know, it's like, I'd like to get the good meat, the good. But you get to enjoy that too. That's true. But I think for me, it's, but sometimes, like, for example, our mutual friend Ryan is coming over for dinner tomorrow night. Uh-huh. And, you know, in the past, I've gone, like, gotten really nice things. And, like, one of my favorite meals to make for Craig and I is called Kava Toppy with sun dried tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've seen this. Oh, on you've seen Instagram, it. And so and I'm gonna, I really want to make it. Oh, okay. So it's basically, it's just, you know, store bought, to use an Einigarten phrase, <laughs> uh, sun dried tomatoes, garlic, parsley, and then Kava Toppy pasta with cannellini beans. And it's very cheap. But it's mm-hmm. re- not super cheap because sun-dried tomatoes are like $12. But it's um, relatively inexpensive. Yeah. And anyway, I'm making this tomorrow night because I was like, I'm just going to make what I would make for me and Craig. But that's a big thing for me to do that as opposed to be like, oh, I'm going to go out and buy the, you know, the nicest, white whatever. truffle butter. Yeah. and the, you, you must know. be really comfortable with Ryan. Yeah, that's true. That. Yeah. yeah. You don't feel like you have to impress him. I've had dinner guests, though, who are tricky and that can sometimes trip me up in terms like, of... Like, because of dietary restrictions? Yeah, but to the point where it's like, I've had dinner guests, I hope they're not listening here, like, I'll be like, I'm making I'm making this for dinner. And they'll be like, oh, I don't... It's not really my favorite. Oh. <laughs> and then it's like, wait a second. That's like, not good etiquette. I know, but it's also like, it trips me up because I'm such a people pleaser that I'm like, oh, I, I'm not going to make now that. Now do I just make something else? Yeah. But then you don't know what they really want either. No, I mean, the, the person I'm thinking of oh, was they, like, they very. Said, they were like, can you make this? Yeah, they're like, why don't you make blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And I made that thing. Wow. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> name names. No, I'm not naming names on this podcast. It ended up being fine. But it was, but I, but Craig was mad at me afterwards because he was like, why did you do that? Like, you should have just done what you wanted to do. And right. I was like, but I wanted to make the meal that they wanted. Do you end up enjoying it less or more? I, I get great gratification from giving people the thing that they want. You love to please. Yes. Yeah. You get lost, though, sometimes. Yeah. Right? Because it's all about them. I get lost in the sense of, like, like, what is this dinner anymore? Like, like, why am I doing this? Am I 
was the initial idea like I just want to hang out with these people and like I'm having them over to like break bread is it I'm trying to impress them is it you know validation validation yeah like what what are my motivations and and as I get older I have to say that they've shifted because I think it used to be that I really wanted to impress people Mm -hmm. but now I don't see it that way like I really just see like the dinner table as a place to congregate and the food is actually pretty secondary I mean the food can be really good but it's not as important as just the atmosphere and the feeling surrounding it. Mm-hmm. I bet you're a really good host because of this. Oh, um, um, I think I am. I mean, yeah. sometimes sometimes to the point of exhaustion where it's like, right. you know, I do everything from like buy the wine to like do the dishes at the end, you know, and Craig Ooh. offers to do all that stuff, but I like to be in control of everything. I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you are a good therapist. How much time do we have left? Oh, we're doing great. We got time. We got time. We got time. No. You He's dug sweating. deep. You're digging deep. Okay. Um, Where else do we go? You said make it about food. I don't know. Well, I think you're doing really well so far. Are you feeling good about it? I'm feeling great. Okay. Just, uh, I'm a good host. I had to make sure you were feeling yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. Checking in with me. Do you check in with your therapist? To make sure she's okay? <laughs> um, like, do you ask her how she is and like... I sense that she thinks when I ask her how she is that I'm not wanting to... I mean, I, when I walk in, I'm like, hey, happy new year. No, I don't really ask how she is, but we do talk a lot about the dynamic in the room. That's cool. Because she wants me to cry. Like, it's very clear. <laughs> I, I think she wants me to cry. Have you cried? In this... Well, in therapy? In my, with my previous therapist, I did cry. Mm-hmm. And then he moved away. All my therapists oh. move away. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Not because of me, but because they have light, so life things abandoning. come up. I know. And so with her, when I started with her... I said to her, I was like, are you going to live in L.A. for a while? Like I was very, she was like, yes, don't fair, worry. Fair question. But um, it's, it's funny because last week, and people probably just listened to this, which was Luke Matheny, who was my guest, cried at the end. He started sobbing. And it threw me for a loop because this, I think of this as a comedy podcast in a lot of ways because it's, it's sort of like a jokey premise. Yeah. Like, tell me what you had for lunch and we'll do therapy. But what I'm realizing is like the idea of therapy is powerful. Just the idea of telling somebody this is therapy, even if it's a joke therapy, it's like it can still be therapy. So mm-hmm. I went to my therapist and I talked about how Luke had cried. And I said to her, I was like, he gets an A in therapy. <laughs> and she's like, wow, I think that's so interesting that you think he gets an A in therapy. Because you have this idea that she wants you to cry. She wants me to cry. Why do you think that? Because she thinks, because I'm detecting the themes that have come up in therapy, which are like me using humor as a defense mechanism, me deflecting, me not being comfortable sitting with my own feelings. Uh She wants you to feel. Yeah, that's fair. But crying would be nice (laughs) because she could see it. (laughs) Well, uh, maybe it's more that she senses that a lot of my performativeness, mm-hmm. my performativeness, is that the right mm-hmm. word? Performative? Yeah. I think so. Um, is to mask like a deeper sadness or like a... Sure. Or like a, there's like a big mask on. Yeah. Which actually has been coming up a lot in the media recently with... Um, this is funny that I'm doing this, by the way. Sidebar, she says that I sometimes will say information <laughs> to avoid sitting with an emotion. She sounds good. She's really good. Oh, yeah. She has my number. Now you're getting my number, too. And everyone's listening. Oh, my God. Um, but she said, um, oh, no, not, not her, but there was, like, this tweet that went viral for gay men. Did you see that? But it was about, like, when you grow up with, like, all these um, personas, as a gay person, like, you put on all these masks, like, 
to, to function and survive. But then as you get older and you come out and you become your true self, it becomes hard to know like what, who, you, who are. you are. Yeah. Very profound. Yeah. But you're using that as information to deflect right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also very topical. It is topical. Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And it comes up a lot in my therapy just about, yeah. you know, and, and, and you know, what's interesting about me in my life is that I think I've always been able to, and this is true of Craig too. And, you know, I think we've always been able to kind of survive like growing up, like we, we had enough of our personalities and our senses of humor and mm-hmm. our creativity helped us get through like middle school and high school and college, you know, just sort of not that college is hard, but like socially mm-hmm. we had, we had good skills to kind of, you know, do what we needed to do yeah. to survive. But so those are the skills that I still have that sometimes make it hard to sit with an emotion. Well, therapy is a different mode. It's not a social interaction. So mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes to shift into like a vulnerable, not unmasked self all of a sudden. It's like, it's 50 minutes, like, and it takes time to warm up and get there. And then like you're out the door. Yeah. So I feel like there's only like, it's different for everyone, but I feel like there's like a window of time within the 50 minutes where like the real therapy happens. Really? Yeah. And like some people can like go straight in and they're like crying moment one, like uh-huh. spilling over. And some people it's like last 10 minutes. What, what makes it real therapy? When you say real um, therapy. I mean, I'm a- kind of being like, it's like not a great phrase. No, but I'm curious but, what that means. Um, like where the performance stops or like the mask right. comes off or like they're warmed up and they're ready to like really tell you what they need to say instead mm-hmm. of like fill, fill time or make jokes or deflect. <laughs> so what I do know? on every episode of this podcast. <laughs> That's appropriate. <laughs> no, I know. But also I do think with every episode, I feel myself getting close to people's sub, like sore spots. And yeah. then I sort of like, I kind of graze past it and see how they feel about it. And then sometimes I just like kind of step back and like, okay, got it. You know, and sometimes yeah. I push forward. And that's, that's the, the dance of therapy. It it's is like, the when do I step back? When do I step forward? And sometimes you fuck it up and yeah. And you just have to talk about it. Do you feel like you've hit that spot with me yet? Which spot? The, the one that like you might have to back away from. I'm thinking. I feel like I'm turning the tables here. I'm like t- asking you questions. I'm now. thinking. No, you've been, I've wondered. I'm like, is this too much? But I've said it. I'm like, is yeah. this too real? No, nothing's too real. I don't and think it is. And then you were like, no, you like gave me the go ahead. I told you, you know? my story about the intruder in our apartment. Oh my God, I'm terrified now. Is your door locked? It is locked. <laughs> Craig is the worst. He doesn't lock the door. Oh my gosh. He, he comes from, I mean, it's actually a great metaphor of the sense of safety that he grew up with because right. he's from Bellingham, Washington. And it's like this small town. And it's like, how I, nice. And it's, and I shouldn't say this on the podcast because, you know, for safety reasons, but let's just say that like he grew up in an environment where it wasn't always expected Safe? to lock the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't, you know, uh-huh. anyway. <laughs> but my parents not only lock their door, they triple lock it and they have, oh my actually, that's not true. They lock it, but they have, um, they live in a guard gated community where there's a patrol going around and who has a gun. Listen, Jews have reason to not feel secure. <laughs> yeah, you get it. So get it's it. like with Craig, it's like, I, now have after that happened, I now literally our, our closing conversation every night is, "Did you lock the door? Did you lock?" The door? It's like he comes in oh, like, "Did really? you lock the door? Did you lock the door?" Yeah, you're asking. I'm constantly yeah, asking cause... him, and oftentimes, like he'll say he did, and then I'll go into the living room and he didn't. Oh, this is yeah. Wow, this you're getting hard. into my marriage now this too. This is hard. Wow, you're really getting all the good stuff. <laughs> Does it annoy him? Am I too from the, from the mic? Does it annoy him? Um, no, you're not far. Um, 
Yeah, well, all those little things annoy him of being neurotic and Jewish, you know, because it's like he's not, he doesn't understand where that's coming from, you know. And that comes up a lot in my therapy of like the DNA of being Jewish that it can, that's like a trauma that's like passed down. Epigenetics. Epigenetics. And that I feel that, you know, just a sense of safety. Like we'll be out on the street walking Mm -hmm. and he'll like kiss my cheek and it's very sweet and nice, but I'm also like hyper aware of like everyone around us and like, oh, am I going to get like beat over the head today? Yes. Many different kinds of trauma there. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So maybe back to the food. <laughs> maybe, I, I thought you were asking some good questions though about the smells and the the lunch and the no. yeah. But also, what else? I think we hit on some interesting things. So like with the sandwich being like a working thing and like shame mm-hmm. of like eating like a mm-hmm. fancy meal um, and then the cooking of the do law you, school. Do you feel that specifically at lunchtime? Yeah, I do actually. Not what about breakfast? Breakfast, I well, I had a routine a couple of months ago that was so good for me, which is that I left the apartment. So when I was really deep into the screenplay that I'm still trying to get off the the computer, um, I would get up early. I made myself get up at seven thirty. <laughs> and I would go to this coffee shop that I go to all the time. But my big issue, and this is really gross, so people feel free to tune out if you don't like it, had to do with pooping mm-hmm. because I like to poop at home. Sure. And um, But I also knew that if I stay home, I'm much more likely to just surf the internet and play with Winston and like yeah. not get work done. So in this new iteration of my life, I got started getting up at 7.30 in the morning, going to this coffee shop, eating breakfast or having granola and like coffee and then um, and pooping <laughs> <laughs> Which was a huge deal. I was like, if I can do that, I can yeah. do anything. Because it's that like, was a big deal for you. It was a huge deal for me because it's like I, my nor- normal morning routine was to, um, you know, have breakfast here and make. Yeah. I usually like make like oatmeal or I make um, granola and yogurt, and then like um, go to the bathroom here and then like and then shower and leave. So with that routine, I created a whole new life for myself. Where not all, part of the strategy with that was to get myself to go to the gym because mm-hmm. I so I rolled out of bed. And didn't shower, and mm-hmm. I threw clothes on, and I packed a new new set of clothes in my gym bag. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the coffee shop. I started writing. I and I, oh, I turned the Freedom app on my phone, so I blocked the internet for three hours. Oh. I ate breakfast and I wrote for three hours, which was amazing. I was like work, 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 and then it was poop, 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 poop. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was gym, 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 which is hard to say fast. And then sh- I showered at the gym, okay. which was cathartic. It felt amazing because it was You're like waiting for that shower all day. Yeah, because I was like I worked all morning yeah. I just ran three miles I'm sweaty I'm gross and then I shower and I put on a new set of clothes and it was almost like a baptism like I kind of mm-hmm. came out uh, and I was like ready to tackle the afternoon and then, then I, you have lunch and then I have lunch but often I would have a smoothie at the gym wow because this is when I was being really good it was like very disciplined very it was good oh see now, <laughs> yeah now we're back on on track um well good because I was trying to you know lose a little weight I was trying to get more in shape I was you know because Let's face it, like my issue is not that like I don't indulge in good food. Like I, I make delicious food all the time and I go to restaurants all the time. For so, dinner. For dinner. That's true. I feel like dinner is your time. And weekend breakfast. Like I'll make okay. like a big breakfast. Uh-huh. Um, but the smoothie diet, which I went on for a while, which just, and, and actually what's so funny about it is like in L.A., my diet is actually seen as kind of indulgent because it because smoothies at the gym, I guess, have like 400 calories or whatever. <laughs> People, somebody said to me like, oh, you have smoothies at the gym. Is there fruit in it? And I was like, yeah, like then that's not healthy. I was like, what are you talking about? There's so, a war against fruit happening in there, Los Angeles. There is a war against fruit. I mean, I'm sure in your... <laughs> In your practice, you're dealing with a lot of people's body stuff, I'm sure. And yeah, I mean, who doesn't have those issues? But I feel like in L.A. specifically, 
I have nothing else to compare it to, but yeah. yeah, one would think. I mean, just in my own experience of having lived in New York and Atlanta, LA, it's the most body centric yeah, that I've ever been. Yeah. So to make a long story short, um, in that very healthy routine, I would go to the coffee shop, go to the gym, eat a smoothie for lunch. And then I actually, what was really interesting was psychologically, it made me make a healthier dinner. So like having done that whole day, I would then go to this butcher shop and fish mm. place and get like a piece of salmon and then go to the vegetable place across the street and maybe get some like cauliflower and do like a protein and a vegetable. And it, it was very easy to stay on that routine yeah. with, with that routine. But once the routine broke, it's over. Oh my God, this fall was ridiculous because I got the flu. Oh. in November and it was literally like um Jenga it was like pulling out like the flu like pulled out the bottom thing and the tower <laughs> toppled over I was like eating cookies and scones and, and also season changed yeah sure I have to fatten up for the winter yeah. and then we traveled and we went to Japan and just like didn't exercise anymore and didn't, and then I got a cold and like I just like all the health stuff just sort of topples and top. It's like, it's either for me, it's like one or the one other. Or the other. That's yeah. so common. Yeah. Well, balance is so hard for people. It's really hard. Yeah. And I think for me, I have a very hard time. I think I'm very, um, what's the word? Not bifurcated, but very like all or nothing, all or nothing. Like where, um, like even my day, like even today, like knowing I was doing this podcast made it very hard to concentrate this morning on like my other writing. Mm. So it's like, it's like I can't hard to switch. Yeah, it's, I have a very hard time switching gears. So mm-hmm. it's like if I'm being healthy, then I'm being healthy. And if I'm being unhealthy, then I'm being unhealthy. But if I'm being healthy and then I have an unhealthy meal and then I, you know, it's just, it's hard for me to like do both. I know. It's so hard. It's hard for me too. Well, aren't you supposed to solve all these problems? What am I paying you all this money for? <laughs> this is pro bono. <laughs> oh, that's true. All right, fair enough. But um, how did this all start? You were asking about lunches. And- I was I was wondering if like breakfast, you had different rules about breakfast and dinner than lunch. Yeah, I mean, for me, like dinner, but now dinner is tricky because I have this acid reflex. Well, people are really yeah, learning a lot about it. really restricted now. And dinner is the meal that you know you're really not supposed to have your most indulgent meal be dinner because you're supposed to yeah eat your least that's so annoying it's so annoying so i guess ideally i should make huge breakfast for Mm -hmm. myself then run at the gym then eat a smoothie and then have like a very sensible dinner at like six o'clock it doesn't have to be sensible i think it just has to be like not acidic (laughs) yeah oh yeah not acidic that's a good point but you know it's it's hard when you get older too it's like i'm 40 now and literally i turned 40 and all these things started happening really well, just the the acid reflux. It's like I never had that. I ate anything right. I wanted my whole life, and so yeah, it's That's like so annoying. Yeah, I know. Um, where do we go now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I forgot to tell you that when we when we get to the final five minutes, yeah. you have to ask me what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Oh, cool. So then, but we're not okay. quite there yet. We're not right? quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, we're almost there. How, are you? Or do you want me to like kind of? But how are, are you feeling? Like tripped up on the food of it all yeah it's hard well don't overthink that i think just ask the questions you would ask and we're almost at the end anyway we've gone so all over the place i'm like where do i go back to but that's what it's like with my therapist she says i go all over the place yeah i mean i'm so curious about your parents oh wow i would love to know more about them what would you like to know um so you said they grew up working class yeah like what were their childhoods like my mom grew up in laurelton queens Mm -hmm. um her dad sold ads for the long island press she's been a guest on this podcast really? so she talked oh, a lot I have about to listen yeah you gotta listen that would have been good homework my therapist listened to that session too i bet she did yeah um and she um went to the fashion institute of technology 
And she was、um, 18 when she married my dad,、oh、who my was、goodness. a dental student and was set up with my, my mom's mother. My grandmother set them up because my mom had been dating a shoe salesman. And she was like 16 when she was dating this shoe sale. She was like, she started very young. And、uh, my grandmother didn't like my mom dating this guy. So she asked the backyard neighbor whose son was in dental school.、Um, To set her, set my mom up with like a dental student. So, my, <laughs> my, their backyard neighbor's son was like, Well, there's this guy in my class named Brad. I think he's single. So, my grandmother drove my mom to my dad's apartment and she like knocked on the door and, and, and that's how they met. <laughs> you got some strong women in your family. Oh,、huh? <laughs> lineage. It's really funny.、Guys. When I was in grad school, my teacher was like, Which TV shows do you guys watch? And everyone was telling. And when it got to me, I was like, Well, I watch, um, Judge Judy, The Barefoot Contessa, Roseanne,、um, The View. The, you know, and like, so, like, she's like, You like strong female characters. I was like, Yeah. And that's like all I knew growing up. Do you up. write those characters? I do. I mean, I've, I've never completed anything about my mother. I'm、mm-hmm. trying to. Is that what you're working on now? No, that's the next one. Okay. That one's called The Floridians, and that's about my、oh. childhood. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. The one now is a romantic comedy. Um, that's a little broader. That's,、cool. you know, I'm trying to like sell something. Branch out, yeah. Yeah.、Um, but, and I have one about a chef or about a cookbook editor that's already up. t h a t sounds good. Oh, thanks.、Uh, but anyway, my mom is a larger than life character and my grandmother was a larger than、yeah. life character. And I was, you know, and I was in their world a lot growing up. I mean, like, I would go out to lunches with them and lunch therapy.、Uh-huh. We, we'd go to this place called Bagel Works in Boca.、Mm-hmm. And we would have,、um, You know, we would sit there and we would like kibitz. Like it was just like <laughs> me and my mom and my grandmother. And like we really, I was really into the vibe. I think a lot of my social skills came from that. Oh, I'm sure that's where you learned it. Yeah. So was your dad a lot older than your mom when they? Yeah, he was 24.、Difference? She was 18 when they、okay. got married. So yeah, six years yeah. older. And,、um, and my dad is a dentist and he plays the piano and I play the piano too. Oh, wow. So he taught me how to play by ear. That's cool. Yeah, we both have that. Like, and his mother was a、um, pianist, like a classical pianist and a typing teacher. Cool. And his father was a grocery store manager. So he grew up, my dad worked in the grocery store and sliced meat at the deli. Wow. Yeah.、Um, well, the time has come now. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow. You're getting into this. I didn't get to make any connections there, but、uh, it's good for me to know. For our next、um, session, you'll have to come back、session. and do another one. I mean, are there any <laughs> like, do you feel like I have like any psychological disorders we need to address immediately? Or? I can't diagnose you. Oh, yeah, that's against the, but, but are you feeling, I know you couldn't make the connections, but did you feel like there were themes that came up? Um, I mean, guilt, <laughs> wanting、yeah. to please. Uh huh. Um, <clears throat> it seems like you've a really like, uh, Sensory relationship with the world. Like, you really like take things in through your senses. Yes. That's what I mean. That's true. Like, smell came up a lot. And, I've,、um, and I got diagnosed once as a hypersensitive, highly sensitive oh, person. Oh, sure. So, like, sound, like, I used to get really upset with fireworks and like、oh, balloons、really? popping、oh. and、um, smell. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, that's perceptive.、Like、sensitive. You're a sensitive Very person. Very sensitive. Yeah. yeah. But not sensitive enough to cry in therapy. That's a different kind of sensitivity. Yeah. And you couldn't I mean, do like, it. Sensorily, you had your shot. Sensorily sensitive,、yeah. different than like emotionally sensitive. Well, you can make but... me cry by asking me what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you having for dinner tonight? I made you say it.、Um, I'm going to my friend Ben Mims's apartment. Ben is a food writer that was a guest on Lunch Therapy two weeks ago, and he and his boyfriend are having me and Craig over for dinner. 
And do you know what they're going to serve? No, I don't. Sorry, I just heard something. Did you hear that too? Yeah. Someone's out there. Okay. <laughs> I got so scared there was the woman came back. She didn't make a sound. <laughs> it can't be her. Now you can tell how traumatized I am by that experience. You know, I would be too. Yeah. That's really scary. Um, no, actually I have no idea what Ben's making for dinner, which which is fine for me. Like I don't I don't get like nervous about that kind of is stuff. Is it because you're not cooking? Like I feel like you let I feel like if you're not in control, you can let go. But if you're supposed to have a little bit of control, you need all of it. Yeah, I can't. I don't cook well with others. Oh, that's the other thing that came up is like all or nothing. Yeah. Thinking, which is like similar to the control. Is that a thing? Like for yeah. people? What does yeah. it mean all or nothing? It's just like people who live in extremes. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely my family and maybe mm. me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like good and evil and yeah. Right, like I was being good when I was on the routine, you said. Yeah, whatever. right, whereas like balance is the key and like integration. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going to Ben's for dinner is pure delight. I just get to sit there and eat. Yeah. And you must trust his cooking. Totally, oh my God. I mean, his cooking is pretty amazing. Okay, so you're excited. I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, I... I can't think of like a dinner that I don't, I mean, the only time I don't look forward to going to dinner is when I go to some place where somebody like forces diet food on you. <laughs> I've had Oof. that happen before. Diet food. Where, like, where people are like are very weight conscious, but they uh, invite you over for dinner and then they, like, they serve you like. Lettuce. With, yeah. Or something mm-hmm. where you're like, why did you have me over? For, we could have gone to a restaurant. That gets me mad. Yeah. You don't want to be cooked for in those scenarios because then you can't choose. I feel like people are imposing their food issues mm-hmm. on you in those mm-hmm. situations. Sure. Sounds like it. I mean, it's interesting because it's like I've gone to people's houses recently where like they'll make something very casual or like like soup or something. And, and you know, that that would seem like not a lot of effort or whatever. But I actually really admire that. Like it's it kind of teaches me mm. like, OK, you don't have to do much. You to, can put in less. Yeah. It'll and, still be good. It's a really kind gesture. Yeah. Feeding people is so nice. I need to have you over for dinner. Yeah, please. We've talked Pasta. about it. I know. That's all I want. You want to you want to come over tomorrow night? Yeah. You do? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. All right. Well, I think Ryan and Jonathan will be okay with that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Dini, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Did you have fun doing I this? I loved it. Oh, cool. It's so interesting. Well, I'm sure people will get a big kick out of like this role reversal. And yeah, I hope so. No, they will. And uh, maybe you'll come back and we'll do it again. We'll go deeper next time. Okay. Sounds good. I'll have a... a or you can analyze my lunch. No, I can't. Okay, fine. I'm you worried about you. <laughs> I, I, I'll i put it this way. If I knew that my therapist was on a podcast yeah. and I could learn all about her life. You'd listen. I would listen. So would I. Yeah. So, I mean, don't don't you want to keep that? I do. That barrier between I you and do, your- but it's also, it, it's their choice. Oh, you know? that's interesting. Like, there's a lot you can find out about someone. Wait, what am want. I going to find out about you? I'm just I- saying you can Google. You can, like... There are people who want to know and will look, and there's people who don't want to know and won't look. That's true. So it's on them. It's on them. But I think you're also kind of right. I yeah. shouldn't reveal too much. You shouldn't. I don't yeah. think you should. Yeah. I'm not but but I want that for you if you want that for yourself. No. Okay. Actually, here, here's a good way to do it. What did yeah. you have for lunch today before we end? Um, I had a um, sabich. Is that how you say yeah. Like a pita sabich sandwich and french fries. Where? Um, Hasiba. It's In, on Pico. It's like, nice. Yeah, it was really good. Wow, I wish I could have analyzed that. And it, I've never had that before. Oh my gosh. So maybe there was some unconscious, like thinking about lunch therapy. What Stop, don't do it. Therapy. All your clients are hearing this. They know how your brain works now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, Dini, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. All right.